This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. They continued to turn away from God. They continued to rebel against God. They continued to, to, to go through the motions of all of their worship. But it wasn't the worship of the one true God. It was worship that was self-satisfying. Think about the church today. How much involved in what we do in the name of the church is self-satisfying rather than actually sacrificing with hearts open and obedient and desiring God. God has promised many great and awesome things. He's promised to be our provider, our peace, our hope, our protector. So if God has promised to be all we need, then why do we try to meet our needs in anyone or anything else? Not only is it foolish when we try to do this, but it's disobedient. As we continue our study in Amos, we see that this is exactly what the nation of Israel is doing. Instead of putting their trust in the Almighty God, they put their trust in lesser things. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 1, for today's study. We're beginning tonight in the uh, third chapter. And as you know, we were talking uh, last week uh, that Amos is written during the time of the divided kingdoms. And uh, Amos's ministry primarily was to the northern kingdom, Israel, though he lived in the southern kingdom, Judah. Uh, somebody real quick, you're my Wednesday night crowd. Where was Amos from? What town was Amos from? Tekoa, okay, a couple of you got that. Right, just below Jerusalem. Now, one of the things, his message primarily was to Israel, but to all those other countries around there too. And we saw, as we went through the first and second chapter, Amos' message to those other uh, countries that were around. We also spoke about the fact that Assyria came and, and wiped out those other countries before they came and got Israel. So God gave them a lot of uh, uh, examples and a lot of uh, lessons to, to, to watch and to see. Wow, God does mean business here. And yet Israel still didn't turn. And the sad part about that is, 150 years after Israel was taken by the Assyrians, 150 years later, Judah falls to the Babylonians. They didn't learn their lesson either. So how many of you here have learned your lessons from all the past experiences you've had? Uh, yeah, we're still learning, aren't we? Yeah, uh, we, we continue to learn our lessons. And sometimes, you know, really, we ought to be able to look and see that, uh, uh, wow, I, I saw what happened with them or I saw how that happened with that family or that situation. I don't want to go there. As I was growing up, I had a brother that was two years older than me. I learned a lot of lessons from my brother two years older than me, things that I could get away with and things that I couldn't get away with. And uh, so sometimes we learn our lessons, sometimes we don't. So we're in chapter 3 uh, of the book of Amos, and verse 1, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, at this point in time, he's talking about both the northern and the southern kingdom. He's talking about Israel as a whole, because he brought the whole nation out of Egypt and out of the bondage of Pharaoh. He says in verse 2, You Oh, and what an intimate word this is, really. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. That's, that's an intimacy 
that God has with his children that man just cannot be compared with anything else. But yet, because of that, he says, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. There's a responsibility in the midst of that intimacy. There's a responsibility in the midst of God's relationship with us also. The responsibility that we have to walk in obedience to him. Not out of fear, but because of the greatness of his love. Just as a response to that love. He now goes into these seven different areas here. These these undeniable things. These very predictable events. He says in verse 3, can can two walk together unless they are agreed? Well, of course not. not I want to go east and you want to go west. I want to go north. You want to go We're not going to be able to walk together. I want, I want to go to the left. You want to go to the right. I, I want to go up. You want to go down. We're not going to be able to walk together. How important that is. And God says that in relationship to Israel. But that that fits in a lot of areas. That fits not only in business agreements, but it also fits very much in marriage agreements. It fits in ministry agreements that, again, the understanding, hey, we need to be on the same page in order to move forward. Verse 4, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a lion, uh, will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? No. Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? No. None of these things. Will a snare spring up from the earth if it's caught nothing at all? No, because they're all set to be tripped. There's something that would trip them and if he's not caught anything at all. Verse 6, he says, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? And at this point in time, absolutely, that's like an air raid siren for them back in those days. Uh, and you guys from the Midwest where you get those things like, uh, what do they call those things? Tornadoes. Yeah, but we don't even know what those, we have dust devils out here and big dust storms. But uh, when, when the air raid siren sounds or, or the tornado siren sounds, it, you better get your attention. You better be paying attention to what's going on. If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And here he's speaking about what God is going to be doing and working in their hands. He says, I'm going, you're, what does he say there in the second part of verse 2? I will punish you for all your iniquities. And then he winds it up there in that second part of verse 6. If there's calamity in the city, you need to know it's me that's going to be doing it. When you start having the problems that you have, it's going to be me that's doing it because of what they've been doing. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. In other words, God, because of his love, because of his care, his concern, his mercy, his long-suffering, his patience, his grace, he lets known, he lets be known what he's going to do. God isn't a God that just comes and whacks folks. No, he reveals himself and he says, man, the Holy Spirit comes and whispers, hey, here's the way. Walk you in it. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to walk over here for a while. The Lord comes and he brings a nudging. He says, no, over here is the way. You need to walk this way. Nah, I think I'm going to walk over here for a while. Well, pretty soon the two by four comes, doesn't it? Okay. The two by four to get your attention. And then he says, maybe a little bit louder. Here's the way. Walk you in it. No, I still think I want to go over here. Then calamity comes. Then real strict discipline 
comes to get our attention, to draw us. God sent the prophets. God sent his word. God sends the testimony of other believers. God sent examples all around the nation of Israel and Judah. Say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. Get ready. Get ready. Repent now while you have a chance. He says, God's not going to do this without revealing it to the prophets. Then he says, this, this, he says in verse 8, a lion has roared. Will you not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? In other words, man, when the Lord speaks, Paul, Paul tells us, man, he says, man, I, I can't but preach the gospel because he had the word so deep within him. He says, man, I can't not preach the gospel because it's poured in. And when God moves, when God has spoken, who can but prophecy? It's going to be a very, very sure thing. Verse 9, he gets a little bit more involved with, with, with Israel at this point in time. He says, proclaim in the palaces at Ashdod. And Ashdod is that uh, uh, Philistine city along the coastline. Proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt from whence they came and from where they keep trying to go back for help whenever there's problems. In essence, Egypt is the world for us in our mind and our understanding. Assemble on the mountains of Samaria and on the mountains of Samaria was where all of their idol worship was taking place. So in all of these places, he says, see great tumults in her midst and the oppressed within her. For they do not know to do right. They don't even know how to do right. Not because they're ignorant, but because, again, just the examples of their life, it hasn't been shown to them by examples of generations before. And, and, and again, because they've refused to do it, it's not a pattern of their life and of their living. They do not know to do right, says the Lord who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. That's the whole mindset, man. They're, they're living this kind of a lifestyle. Verse 11, therefore, thus says the Lord, an adversary shall be all around the land. In other words, there's going to be a surrounding, and that's exactly what the Assyrians did when they came. They literally surrounded the countries. They would surround these cities, literally choke them out, not being able to get any supplies, not being able to get out or uh, away from the city. That's the way that they the enemy went. An adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. All of their peace, all of their security, all of their provisions, even their life was taken away. Why? Because they continued to walk away from God's warning and not heed his warning. Verse 12 says, thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear. You get the picture here? Do I need to give you a pic? No, I think you get the picture. So shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria. It's interesting. Again, historians tell us that's exactly the way the Assyrians would do. They would come in and they would just maim people just for the meanness. I mean, even after they defeated the people, they would cut off arms and legs and feet or hands. And they have these engravings during from that time, and it shows the Assyrians doing that very kind of thing. Again, just to demoralize the people totally. And, you know, uh, uh, again, after they've beaten them already, they would do this. 
He says, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. It's the idea of kind of hiding out, trying to find a little bit of security in, in fear, hiding away from them. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. Now, again, we've spoke about Bethel. Bethel's not too far from Jerusalem, just across the border from the southern kingdom into the northern kingdom. Yet Bethel was a place of the pagan worship. And remember, when we were speaking in Hosea, we spoke about Bethel being called Beth-Avon instead of Bethel, the house of God. Uh, 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 Hosea kind of twisted the words and said the house of wickedness because of all the pagan worship. So God says, as I'm punishing Israel, I'm going to destroy the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. In other words, even all the leadership, all all, all the princes and the kings, he's going to take it all out, not just a small part and a portion. They're not just going to come in and, and, and slap uh, Israel a little bit uh, again as a small punishment. No, they're going to wipe them out. They're going to take out all of their leadership as well as all the common people. They're going to rip them. They're going to tear them bit by bit, piece by piece. There's not going to be any place that they can hide. In in chapter 4, he says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are in the mountain of Samaria. I I love this verse, these cows of Bashan. It's kind of a... um, derogatory remark that he's making about these people they're in israel the the northern kingdom is where now he's kind of moving his prophecy toward and as we look in that northern kingdom in that area uh, there is the Sea of Galilee. Samaria is that kind of center area of the northern kingdom. And then right above that is the area of Galilee. Now, the cows of Bashan, he says that they're in the mountains of Syria. That's just right, or Samaria. That's just right uh, uh, on the border of Samaria and Galilee. And it's absolutely beautiful there. If you ever get to travel over in that area, and we've got a trip coming in March. If you haven't signed up, it's not too late. Uh, but anyway, if you ever get a chance to travel there, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's it's all grazing land and farmland. It's just beautiful. And even as we travel there, we see, uh, again, cattle out in the field. And we think, oh, the, the cows of Bashan. Uh, when when Jesus, in, in Psalm 22, it talks about the fat uh, cows or the bulls. It talks about the bulls of Bashan have encircled me. And again, thinking of this area, he says, here is this word, you cows of Bashan. So he's using that terminology to the people there. He says, you who oppress the poor, crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. Now, though it is speaking allegorically, to uh, female people, persons, women, 
the cows, a female, uh, down on the third thing, says, says to your husbands. I don't think he's just speaking to the women at this point in town, time. I believe, again, allegorically, he's bringing this idea who oppress the poor. The poor were the powerless. They didn't have any ability to stand for themselves or stand up uh, for any kind of oppression. And again, those who had power in the land of the northern kingdom were continually oppressing the poor. He says they crush the needy, and that word crush means to abuse. In other words, they're not helping them out. They're not out of their blessing being able to help those that are around them. And if you remember, I think it was last week we talked about this was actually a time of, of, of great prosperity for the northern kingdom. Everything was really going good for them at that time. They could have been helping the poor. They could have been helping the needy. But instead of that, what they had, they just wanted more and what more they got, they wanted more. And they, again, in other words, stepping on others to be able to get higher and higher and higher. And it says, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. And I don't think that he's talking about just having a, a glass of wine in the afternoon. I think this is the thing. Man, let's just party down. Let's just, let's just slam it down because I don't care anything about the world. And I'm going to get totally wasted because I don't care about your situation. All I care about is my good pleasure. And God is saying, listen, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity, your offspring, in other words, with fish hooks. And you will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her. And you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. The Assyrians, MO, their modus operandi, their method of operation, was exactly what Amos is writing here. This whole idea of fish hooks. The Assyrians were such a, a gross and vile people. They literally would, uh, again, the, the abuse that they had to either put a, a hook through the lips or through the noses of the people that they captured and just drag them along one after another. And many times your hook was tied to my hook, was tied to your hook, was tied to your hook. And so if you tried to break free, you're ripping him and me both at the same time. So everybody pretty much had to stay all in order. So where he says there that you're taking out one straight ahead of her right in line because that's the way that they control the people with these fish hooks or rings in, in their mouths or in their noses and led them that way. A very vile, very abusive type of people taking you out through the broken walls because they would break the walls down, capture the people, bring them right back through those broken down walls. He says, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply your transgressions. Well, remember Bethel, that was a, that was a place of the pagan worship. Gilgal, place of the pagan worship. God is saying, hey, go ahead, go to Bethel and transgress. Go to Gilgal, multiply your transgression. Go ahead, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving, even with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offering. For this you love, you children of Israel. But you know, says the Lord God, but you know what? He says that in absolute sarcasm. He says, oh, why don't you have another rally? Why don't you have another big, big, big church time? 
Why don't you have another big gathering? Do all the stuff. It's not touching my heart at all, God says. It's all about you. It's all about you feeling good for yourself and going through these motions of worship, sarcasm to the max. He says, also, I give you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Say, hey, praise God, we don't have to brush our teeth anymore. No. Why, why, why do they have, why do they have cleanness of teeth? Because they don't have any food. He says, I'm going to give you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. And yet, you've not returned to me, says the Lord. Discipline without repentance. The food, uh, uh, lack of harvest, lack of nourishment, all of these things, God had disciplined them. But did they listen? No, they didn't listen. They continued to turn away from God. They continued to rebel against God. They continued to, to, to go through the motions of all of their worship. But it wasn't the worship of the one true God. It was worship that was self-satisfying. Think about the church today. How much involved in what we do in the name of the church is self-satisfying rather than actually sacrificing with hearts open and obedient and desiring God. God says, did all that, and yet you've not returned to me. That's the first time he says it. Keep count. Verse 7, I also withheld rain from you when there was still three months to the harvest. And then I made it rain on one city, but I withheld rain from another city. On one part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they weren't satisfied. Here it is again. Yet you've not returned to me. God says, I, I, I've given you these warnings. I've, I've, I've brought this discipline. I've, I've, I've done the tap on the, on, on, on the bottom saying, come on, straighten up, straighten up. Every once in a while, maybe a two-by-four to the head, straighten up. You're, you're going the wrong way. Here's the way you need to be walking, but you continue to go the other way. Verse 9, he says, I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees. In other words, they had a great harvest, but blight and mildew came in. And then he says, the locusts devoured them. Also, yet you've not returned to me. Again, he's given that warning, and yet you've not returned, says the Lord. Verse 10, I, I, I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Now, this is getting, this is getting pretty powerful here. If you remember all the plagues that, you know, went through Egypt, he says, your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up in your nostrils. And again, yet you've not returned to me, says the Lord. It's kind of like a plague went through and not only men died, but their animals died and just the stench of death was just so strong there. He says in verse 11, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. There it is again, yet you've not returned to me. How did God overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah? Supernaturally, okay? 
can say the fire and the hail and the brimstone from the sky that, that burnt them up. But can we just say in the overall sense, it was just in a supernatural way God did that. Now, whether it was fire and brimstone at this point in time, or whether it was just supernaturally God did it, we don't know for sure. But he did point out, like Sodom and Gomorrah, so it could have been that very same thing. Verse 12, he says, For thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, This is probably some of the most sobering words you can ever, ever read. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. Five times in that chapter, he says, you know, I've done all this, yet you've not returned to me. In these perilous times that we live in, how can we know for sure what is to come? The Twelve Minor Prophets highlight many future events that will bolster our faith as we study them. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to the Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com. Click on the podcast option on the homepage or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard the open word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you your feedback helps us know the lord's direction for this ministry once again you've been listening to the open word with pastor david landry of calvary chapel in casa grande arizona in the next edition of the open word david will continue teaching through the word of god so please make plans to join us again and may god richly bless you